0: But I want to uh, preach unto you, Jesus Christ. I don't want, I'm not interested in anything else. Uh, The fact that God has dropped down out of heaven by the weight of love, that trumps everything else to me. I mean, we can go on this fad and that fad and go into this category and that category, but man, God became a man. You're not going to be able to say a greater statement than that right there. I mean, you can try to string words together and make something sound really cool or interesting or intriguing. But it is this man who is also God here on the planet, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead and then ascending on high to send the spirit into your heart. So I want to talk to you today about Christ, who is our life. It's interesting. I was feeling these things and in the back. Costi was praying, and he picked Colossians 3. There's a portion. This is Christ, who is our life. And I was like, we are on point. When he said that, I knew we are right on track with uh, what God is wanting to say. So uh, we'll start with a story, and then we'll jump right into Christ as life. I intend to cover a couple of things. One. What it means that Christ is life. Two, the effects of Christ as life. Three, how to receive him as life. And four, hindrances to receiving Christ as life. This whole message is about Jesus Christ. Experienced and enjoyed and adored. Living in and out of this man, Christ Jesus. So you have read the story of Mary at the tomb. Many of you have read this, yeah? Jesus says her name. Wow. She turns and he sees her. She sees him. She recognizes him. And then she wants to do something. She wants to grab him. How many of you would want to run over to Jesus if you saw him and just squeeze him? (laughs) I would. Oh, man. She wanted to do this. And Jesus tells her something. He says, "Don't, don't cling to me. That's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus would stop her from clinging. And it bothered me so long, and I got hung up right there. Why would Jesus stop her from clinging? And then I just found the answer was in the next verse. (laughs) How often do we get confused because we just didn't continue the context? Confusion follows not following context. (laughs) If you just follow the context, it'll save you a lot of confusion. And so I just read the next verse, and it said that he had not yet ascended. Now, if you remember anything Jesus said while on the earth, one of those things is very interesting. He says that he stands up at a feast and he goes, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's gospel right there. If any man thirsts, you recognize your need. I am the fulfillment of all your needs. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But then it says that he said, he spoke of the spirit who had not yet been given Because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So when he tells Mary, don't cling to me, he stops her because it's not yet completed. I've got to go up to the right hand of the throne of God, and the Spirit has got to come down to the earth. The gospel is incomplete until the Spirit enters into the heart of man. Jesus wanted this, not just to wash away your sins. He didn't want her just to recognized him as someone who came down and died for her. He wanted her to realize that, but not just that he came down and died for her and not just that he came down died for her and rose. He wanted her to recognize that the whole thing is that God did come down here, live a life we could never live, die a death that we deserve, resurrect by the power of God, and then ascend into heaven on high to send the Spirit into the hearts of men, that is the fullness of the gospel, the receiving of the Spirit. And so when I say Christ as life, that's what we're talking about. He is the animation of life. Leonard Ravenhill wrote, you don't need God because you're bad. You need God because you're dead. <laughs> he goes on and he says, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good men, he came to make dead men live. (laughs) Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, you guys have all read it. He says, I've come so that you may have life. (laughs) This is his reason for coming out of his own mouth. I want to give life to you. This is incredible because we need life. We are dead without Christ. Jesus says this in John 6, you have no life in yourselves. (laughs) Showing that he himself alone is life. John 14, 6, you've all read it, that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we speak of life, we're talking about the man Christ Jesus delivering us out of death. As a matter of fact, let's just take a look At a couple of scriptures that are really help help settle it in. How many of you love reading the scriptures? How many of you have recognized that sometimes in modern day Christianity, the scriptures are neglected? This is not a a, a good thing. As a matter of fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon was asked, What is more important, worship or the word? And he goes, You tell me what's more important, breathing in or breathing out. (laughs) They work together. So turn to Ephesians. I want to pull out this scripture because it shows us what it means that Christ became life to us. If you don't know where Ephesians is, Gentiles eat pork chops. (laughs) So you see here in verse 1 of chapter 2. Look at this. You were what? Dead. Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Praise God. What are we pointing at here? We're pointing at death had these sisters around it or a company around it, which is described as sin and disobedience and uh, the course of this world and uh, the, the, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is working in the midst of those that are disobedient. We see lusts and we see evil desires of the flesh and evil desires of the mind. That is all death described. And you start seeing that death has preliminary forms in our lives when we don't lean on Christ. And it looks like things like depression. It looks like things like addictions. It looks like things like disobediences. It looks like desires of the flesh running and ruling. It looks like desires of the mind that take the place of Christ. This is all death in its preliminary forms, but Christ has come to give life which means to remove all of those things, to give you deliverance, to give you power, to give you life that is removal from that old situation and value system. This word value is so important because that's the main thing that Jesus does in your heart when he comes in his life. He switches your value system. What you thought was so cool and so important, all of a sudden it's just not that way anymore. How many of you recognize an an immediate change when the Holy Spirit came inside and life entered in, those attractions to death just were gone? Praise God. That's called a new heart. This is the gospel, praise God. But we see that he made us alive. And then he couples this being made alive with a couple of things. One, being delivered from the power of sin. He calls it saved. Then also raised us up. That means taking you out of death. And then it says, he seated us in heavenly places. That's above the world. Oh, I don't even know if, if you've been on a plane, but when you get up there high and you look down, the world just starts looking super small. And this is the way it is. When you're seated with Christ in the heavens, you look down on the world and the world becomes very small to you. Its values, its system of, of existence, its realities become very m- minuscule to you. And the things of God begin to take the center stage of your desires and your heart and your mind. This is what it means to have Christ as life. To receive Christ as life is to be delivered from this old system of existence and brought into a new system of existence. You know, if you you give a million dollars to a monkey, he doesn't really care about the money. He wants the banana that's in your hand. He would give the whole case of a million dollars to you for the one banana you have in your hand. Why? Because he's from a different system of existence. He's got a whole different value system. But when, when you, if you were to transform that monkey into an intelligible human, he would take the million dollars over the banana every day because he's in a new system of existence. And when you get born again, when life comes in, you are put into a new system of existence where you have different values. And you start saying, I would much rather have the million than the banana. I'd much rather have the things that last for eternity, the things that are valuable in the world to come, than these these insignificant fooleries. I'd much rather have these things that make sense to the angels who behold his face than to have all the riches that are As Job says, those who eat their riches will vomit them up. So I I, I point at Christ as life changing things on the inside. Christ as life means he has delivered you from that which is death. But then when you look at Christ um, speaking to us about, he says, this is eternal life that you might know him. Do you remember in John 17, 3, Jesus says this? So you see that this eternal life, this life that is given to you is connected directly with knowing God. So that new value system in and of itself is this. I desire to know God. Before, you, you did not have a desire to know God. But now that life has come in, you have a desire to know God. You see, Romans 6, verse 11, the scripture tells us that we consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. That's Christ as life. I am now alive to God. Jesus says in John five twenty four, he who believes in me passes out of death and into life, and he no more comes into judgment. He's been saved. Praise God. Aren't you glad that all of your sins have been completely removed and you'll never see them again? Praise God. Man, there should never be a depressed Christian because all he has to do is just remember stupid stuff he's done and then remember that it's not remembered by God. And he should start dancing. It should cause us to throw a party or two to realize that Jesus has forgiven you. Oh, it's an endless source of joy. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. Praise God. But then when we look at Jesus as life and the effects of life. I'm going to merge together three chapters of the Bible with a story. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 8. You could look at these three chapters as husbands to a wife. The first chapter, chapter 6. You see, she's married to the old man. He beats her. He's disrespectful to her. He hates her. He's destroying her life. This is what the old man does. He just destroys you, spends all your money, leaves you out on the street. That is the old man. But in chapter 7, you have, she gets married to this man who looks kind of like Jesus because he's perfect in every way. He is just perfection. But she's recognizing that the more she gets to know him, the more his perfection is impossible to live with. For instance, he says, hey, let's eat breakfast at 7 a.m. tomorrow, and she gets breakfast ready, and she gets there at 7.02, and he says, get out of here, you're a liar. You said you'd have breakfast here at 7. It's 7.02, you're a liar. That's the law. The law is perfect, and you cannot, you cannot make the law happy. It's a husband that is perfect and too perfect to be lived with because he's merciless and cold. But then you have Romans 8. And Romans 8 is a husband of a different kind. He doesn't say, hey, have breakfast here at 7 a.m. He says, I'm cooking you breakfast. It's, it's the husband that says, here I am with grace and mercy, not just to forgive you when you make mistakes, but to pick you up and carry you myself. Romans 8 is this, that the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has come in and picked you up and quickened you with life. That is Christ as life and the effects of receiving Christ as life. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. The reason why I'm pointing at this today is because I feel like one of the things God really wants to set us free from is works and focus on performance. Listen, let me just save you the suspense. You are never going to be able to live in a way that pleases God in and of yourself. You're not going to be able to do it, but Jesus already did it. So then you yield to him. I remember one of my friends likes to say it like this. Some people stiff arm God by breaking all the rules. Other people stiff arm God by keeping all the rules. The problem is, is none of this is faith in Jesus Christ. I want to destroy the religious spirit that makes you feel like your performance determines his love. That your performance determines whether or not You're able to be accepted by him. Listen, if you could see the standard necessary to be able to fellowship with God, you would do one of two things. One, you would quit and give up and say, I'll never be able to reach that. And you're right. But number two, you would lower the standard, fulfill it, and then become proud. I don't know which one's worse. But I know neither neither one of those things lead to salvation. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone and his performance, his perfections. And when we receive him as life, that means that we've put aside our life and he has come in as the quickening life. In John 15, Jesus gives us this beautiful imagery. You've all read it many times of principle of life. The life in the vine causes fruit on the vine. The life in the vine causes fruit on the vine. You can know this. If there's no fruit, there's no life. But if there's life, there'll be fruit. And when we receive Christ as life, the effects will be fruit will organically, spontaneously begin to outflow of what you are now that Christ has made you something new. It will not be something that you're trying to do. It will be something that you now are because you are yielded to the life that Jesus Christ is on the inside. Praise God. I say this because many, many times I find people are just miserable in their Christian lives because they're, they're, they're running on a treadmill of performance and they're going nowhere and they're frustrated and they're wondering why they can't overcome sin. They wonder why they can't enjoy the Bible. They wonder, it's because there's no life. Religion is presenceless devotion. Religion is literally you doing all the right stuff, but you still don't receive Christ as life. You know, when you look at the Pharisees, when you, when you think about the Pharisees and what they are, you see in, in them a perfect picture of having everything, yet possessing nothing. They have all the right things on the outside, but they have nothing on the inside. Jesus calls them washed tombs filled with dead men, dead dead men's bones no life jesus speaks to the pharisees and they have all these things right they got proselytes they understand the well they're they're studying the scriptures and teaching the scriptures they live morally all this kind of stuff but jesus looks at them and he says he says you you, you're of your father the devil and then he says to them he says you've never seen his face you've never heard his voice or seen his face in other words you have no spiritual experience of god all you have is text And that's the essence of what religion is trying to do. It is trying to make you conform to a standard and a nature you do not possess. But with Christ as life, the new nature takes root and the fruit begins to come out. Fruit is the result of the root, praise God. So I say, I I, I wanna point at these things because I'll use a quote from Watchman Nee. He said, if Christ is not life, if Christ is not life, then you need to do the work. He says, but if Christ is life, then you need never struggle. I'm going to say one more time. Listen closely. If Christ is not life, then you better start working. You better do the work. But if Christ actually is life, then you, then you need never struggle. Why? Because God will perform the thing himself. Even as John Wesley commentating on Philippians chapter two, verse 13, he said, God works religion in and out. And when he says religion, he means the positive definition of religion, not the one we've adopted in these days. He works it in and out. And he gets that from the text, which says God works in you both to will and to do. That's called Christ as life. Jesus working on the inside doing these things for you. If you read through Galatians, you you get struck by this this sharp sword that Paul brings up. He's so sick and tired of them adding to Christ that he says extreme statements in the books in the book. He says things like this. He says, "If you receive circumcision, in other words, you can you can define circumcision today as Anything added to Christ. If you receive circumcision, he says this, Christ is no benefit to you. He says, you've been severed. Listen to these words. You've been severed from Christ. He actually goes on and he says, I don't want to go back into those ways of trying to perform for God because then I nullify the grace of God. Wow. This, this book, Galatians, is actually incredible. As a matter of fact, let's turn over there and look at something real quick because this is, this is very important because we slip into this performance mentality and we don't even recognize it. And what it is, it's an affront to the gospel. So, chapter three, look at this. Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's tricked you? Who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I want you to just, I want to explain what he's saying there. He's saying, you've been tricked to adding to Christ. Then he says, let me remind you what this thing is all about, basically, when he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ, God Almighty, has obeyed perfectly and took your punishment for you, publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, he's saying, whatever you think you can add to Christ, it's gonna pale in comparison to what Jesus already did. Let me tell you what you're allowed to add to Christ, whatever's better than what Jesus did. If you feel like you can do something better than Jesus, you think you can do something more complete and more spiritual than what Jesus did by dying a death he did not deserve for you. If you feel like you can do something, then that you can go ahead and do. But the reality is anything that you can think of will pale in comparison to God dying for you. So this is what he's saying here. He's like, guys, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God Almighty in the flesh, he has obeyed perfectly for you. Why in the world are you being tricked as thinking you can add something to what Jesus has done? So then he goes on here. Listen to this. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. So he's got a question. He's like, okay, so you're adding to Christ. But let me ask you this question. And with this question, I'm going to destroy everything that you think you're building. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or did you receive the Spirit because you did something really cool? Did you receive the Spirit because you fasted enough? Did you receive the Spirit because you read the Bible enough? Did you receive the Spirit because you stayed away from that certain sin for a while? Did you, did you receive the Spirit because you stopped cussing? Did you, did you, how did you receive the Spirit? He says this. He says... Did you receive the spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? You heard about it and you said, please, Lord. I throw myself on you, mercy. Lord, take me, here I am, I give myself to you. I surrender, that's faith. Faith means, Lord, I give up. And this right there, that faith is how the spirits received, not just initially, but continually. You never graduate from dependency. And so as we go deeper and deeper in dependency, the Spirit consistently carries us along and and moves us. John Wesley said this. He said, abandon everything that is not the merit of Jesus Christ and yielding to his Spirit. That's a quote to memorize because it's, it's the summary of Christianity. Abandon everything that is not the merit of Jesus Christ and the yielding to his Spirit. Praise God. So we see this here. He goes on, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish that having begun in the spirit, you're now going to make things better and increase things and be perfected by what you do, by your flesh? Are you serious right now? Paul is saying. Paul is literally speaking as if, and I'll tell you what this really is saying, what's really happening when we start trying to add to what Jesus did. Look over in the first chapter and look at verse six. I am amazed, Paul said. I'm freaking shocked, he's saying. I cannot believe you guys are doing this. What? You are so quickly deserting him. You're turning your back on him, the person of God. How? By thinking you're gonna add to what Jesus Christ has done. Say, Eric, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to rip you away from every ounce of performance so that you can live by the spirit. Because to the degree that you perform, you cannot be empowered. This is why you can't overcome sin. It's because you're still involved. You're still part of the issue. Get out of the way and let the spirit come in. How? By the merit of Jesus Christ. And say, I can't do this thing, I recognize it. I actually quit, I give up. And I put all my eggs in one basket and that's Jesus Christ on the cross for me. Some people, they they don't go spend time with God because they've built a case against themselves of all the stuff that they've done wrong, you're still thinking about you. The gospel is Jesus Christ has given unto you perfect access to God. I remember hearing one of my, uh, I remember hearing a a guy say one time, he said, yeah, she has an access anointing. And I heard that, I'm like, what does that even mean? Oh, no, no, she's got a special gift of access. The gospel has granted unto every man perfect access because it's based upon Christ there's nobody that has greater access to God than you why because Jesus Christ gave it to you does that make sense to you I remember I was at a party and there was all these big big wigs there like you know I could say their names but all, all kinds of incredible people there, ministers of the gospel and this guy that's serving at the party turns to me and then he goes man I'm just so honored to be in the midst of you generals and you you know you guys special i looked down and I said bro we're all saved by the same gospel why are you saying that we're all every one of us deserve hell and deserved hell and probably still deserve hell but jesus christ has come And we put all our trust in him. And then his spirit begins to work. And then he begins to lift us and carry us. And let me just save you the suspense as well. God is not going to abandon you because you're working through stuff. One of uh, of my friends likes to say it like this. The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug you tightest. Jesus is for you. He is all about you. He, he loves you. This is Christ as life. He wants to quicken you to life. So let, we'll get into how to receive Jesus as life consistently. Because you know the scripture tells us in Galatians, it says if you receive the spirit, if you, if you, are, if you have the spirit, let us also then walk by the spirit. So, so it's possible to have the spirit and not be walking by the spirit. How many know that's possible? Oh, it's right there in the scripture. So, and I've done it. I have the spirit and then there's days or there's times or moments where I have not followed the spirit and those always end badly it's no fun it just breeds all kinds of difficulties that are unnecessary as a matter of fact I believe most people's problems are unnecessaries that they themselves created because they wouldn't just yield or they stepped in motion they set in motion their own works let me just help you lord let me just help you lord So we have Christ as life. I want you to turn to John 6. And while you turn there, I'm gonna quote 1 John 5, 21, which says, he who has the son has life, but he who has not the son has not life. And we know that life to be deliverance from sin. We know that life to be deliverance from hell. We know that life to be being quickened by God. You know, in Isaiah, when that prophecy comes out and he says, they have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. This means there's no life in the eye and no life in the ear. And so it's oftentimes when life, divine life is received. That's when I can't even say oftentimes. It's every time when life is received, the ear begins to hear God. When when life is received, the eye begins to see the Lord. The, the eyes of the heart being enlightened is a life coming into the eyes of the heart. This is how we perceive God. Let me just break this down for you. The inability to perceive God was your fallen state. But you've been born again. And you've received life. Now you live by, God governs your life by your perception of his person. Specifically through your heart being set upon him and reading his word. And his spirit being the guide of your life. So I'm I'm saying that to say some people say that perception of God is not promised. No, that's called being born again. I can see now. I can hear now. I can perceive the Lord now. That's Christ as life. And religion, I'm telling you, wants to create all kinds of doctrines where Jesus is not actually life. He's theoretically life, but not actually life. No, no, he is life. And he makes you alive on the inside. He animates your desires for him. I remember reading Thomas Watson, he said, if a piece of iron begins to rise contrary to its nature, you know by this a magnet is pulling it. And so it is if you begin to desire God and you desire his word, you know by this the Spirit of God is pulling you up. That's life. Praise God. So John 6, and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it all together. This is how we receive Christ as life. Chapter six, it says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Look at this. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Therefore, Jesus was lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd was coming to him. He said, where are we to buy bread? So that these may eat. I want you to notice the first thing on Jesus' mind when he saw people coming to them is he wanted to feed them. This is not just Middle Eastern, this is the nature of God. I want to nourish you. You come to me, my first thought, God, as God, God, my first thought is, I need to feed you. See, some of us get so focused on the leading, we forget the feeding. We're, we're so wanting to be led, and we forget to be fed. But God wants to feed before he leads. Because if he leads before he feeds, you'll you'll faint along the way. But he wants you to be satisfied first with his person. Some people are not able to, uh, some people are holding on to something they want from God so tight that they're unable to actually find the Lord. I remember listening to Jason Upton. He said, I get so thirsty trying to find your presence that I forget to stop and just take a drink. Sometimes we create these these weird hurdles because they they please the self and they make you feel like you accomplished something. No, just rest on the accomplishment of Christ. Be free. Let the weights fall off your shoulders and realize, listen, he's the one that's able to do it and he's the one that has done it. And so we see here, he wants to feed you. And as as he... sees them, he, verse nine, it says, there was a lad who had five uh, uh, loaves, barley loaves and two fishes. What are these for so many people? And Jesus says, look at this, have the people sit down. You see that? Jesus' first thing that he, before he feeds them, he's like, sit down, sit down. And then the scripture goes on and it says, and he gave to all who were seated. That's interesting to me. He wants you to sit and then he feeds those who sit. Those who are malnourished are those who never sat. <laughs> when you don't sit, then you skip the feeding to take time to just sit with the Lord. This is how we receive Christ as life. As a matter of fact, if you look at 50, the verse, the 57th verse of chapter six, look at this. Jesus says, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. Look at this. I live because of the father. So he who eats me, will also live because of me. In other words, he who eats me will receive me as life supply. You consistently eat of me and you will continually have your desires for me alive. You will have the life that delivers you from bondage and death. And you can set your mind on the spirit, which is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is death. We know this. And so lastly, um, there's this story I'll tell and then then we'll kind of just close out. I once was on a lunch break and I was looking for somewhere to eat and I saw this table full of people but I just crashed the party and I sat there with my food and ate, didn't know any of the people. And they were all have, they, they had these books and they were looking at these books and talk, showing pictures to each other and talking about these things and I, I recognized they're culinary students. They're talking about pictures of food and recipes and all kinds of things. But here's the thing, none of them actually had any food. They just had books of food and talk of food. I was the only one at the table that was actually eating something. (laughs) Did you know you can be the greatest cook in the world and die of starvation if you don't eat? And and so what happens is a lot of times is we get so focused on showing each other pictures of food, we get so focused on talking about our recipes, but we forget to actually sit down and eat of the Lord. And this is why you can be in the midst of the, of the congregation. You can be in the midst of a school. You can be in the midst of a whole situation. But you yourself are malnourished. And you're dry. And you're empty. And you don't feel full. And you don't feel that the, the, the satisfaction of the soul that God gives. We receive Christ as, as life. And this is what changes everything. So the, the merit of Jesus Christ and the, the yielding to his spirit. So this is where I'll close. I was going to get into hindrances to receiving uh, life, but I'm, I'm going a little long. But it's real simple. This is how you hinder yourself from receiving Christ. The last verse in 1 John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The amplified version says, little children, keep yourselves from anything and everything that would occupy God's place in your heart. In other words, just keep your eyes fixed upon him who gives you bread and don't replace bread, the bread of Christ, the bread that he himself is, Christ has life with other things. Isaiah chapter 55, this is where we'll end. And then what we could do, we could have the band come up if, you, if they want to come up right now. That'd be great. So Isaiah 55, verse one, listen to this. As a matter of fact, before I touch on that, I want to tell you a time when Jesus references this chapter. You know the famous statement we all love so much when he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says this, come to me. This word, this phrase, come to me, he's drawing it directly from the Old Testament. Why? So that they can understand what he means when he says, come to me. You think about this. Let's say um, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people, and I say to them, they're all right here pressing up against me. And I say, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. The the natural thought would be, well, I'm already right here. How much further do I have to get closer to you? I remember we were at Nations Church just recently, and um, uh, somebody gave an altar call. And my daughter was like, I don't need, we were in the front row. She's just like, I don't need, I'm already down here. I don't need to go to the altar. I'm already at the altar. In the same way, what does Jesus mean when he says, come to me? Is it get a little closer? Take one more step. You're not close enough. All right, what proximity does the blessing actually start? Jesus is not saying, come to me like a physical, take a step. He's referencing the Old Testament. This phrase, come to me, and it's it pulled from here. Isaiah 55 says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what does not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance and climb your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Are you seeing what's happening here? God is removing everything from man and then opening the door and saying all you have to do it's just put your trust completely in me. Give me your attention and I will feed you. I will be your delight. Then, the, the, as it says, says in Job, then the Almighty will be your gold. Praise God. The delight in Christ. That's the difference between those who experience this life and live by this life and those who do not. So this is where I would like to end. Maybe... Your Christian life has been extremely dry. When I say dry, I mean you don't really enjoy reading the scriptures. You don't really enjoy worshiping the Lord when no one can see you. Because sometimes people love to worship when they can be seen. But worshiping when no one can see you and delighting in His Word and enjoying time with it. Maybe that hasn't been your Christian life. Maybe your Christian life has been like, listen, I'm doing the best I can. And reading the Bible is like chewing on an old rope. And you'd rather listen to somebody tell you what God said than listen to God himself. If that's where you are, I have good news for you today. The reason why I'm holding this microphone is because God loves you and desires to, do, to change that whole situation right now by simply saying, if you thirst, Just come to me. Just come to me. And the Lord will perform a miracle. And that miracle is this. He'll take your unsatisfied heart and he'll satisfy it. He'll take these dead desires and he'll make them alive. And you can actually say to God things like this. Oh, Lord, I actually feel like I don't love you. Will you help me love you? And the Lord says, absolutely. I was waiting for you to admit it so I can help you. Maybe what you need to say today is this. Lord, I, I, I hate reading the Bible. I hate it. It bothers me. It's frustrating. I don't like it. That's all he's waiting for. It's for you to be actually honest. And then he can come in and say, I got you. Breathe fresh life on the inside of you. Take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And give you new desires on the inside. You know, when Paul's teaching us how to walk in the spirit, he puts it, he pins it on desires. Galatians chapter 5, he says this. He says that the flesh it lusteth or desires against the spirit but yet check this out the spirit desires or lusteth against the flesh so both of them are following desires which one it's just what desires are you going to follow your own or the new ones that come by the spirit that's why that's why following god is joy filled because you're doing what you want why because you have a new nature that delights in God and delights to see him. Yeah, you still have those old desires, but you just turn your back on them and follow the new ones. It's Simple. So maybe that's what we, we need to do is just get honest before the Lord. You can say things like this, Lord, I don't feel, I don't, I don't think I love you and I need help and I know I should. Lord, I, I don't desire to worship. I'd rather, I'd rather play a video game Actually, Lord, I'd rather play NBA 2K3 than 2K23 than then sit, then sit in, in your presence, Lord. Just this is what you need to say to the Lord. So stand with me. Yeah, just put your hand on your heart. Let's do this together. with our sincerity, with our a real heart, let's just say, Jesus, I just need help. I see what I am without you. And I throw myself on your mercy. I come to you today. And I lean on you to do everything. Give me your right desires. Shift my value system. Help me to throw everything upon you. I'm going to burn my treadmills and just enjoy you and know that you are there with your own personal presence to carry me. So, Lord, I open my heart. Look at these areas. I expose them to your view that they may be healed. In Jesus' name.